It's great to go away and speak in other churches. But it's even better to come back. You can sort of relax. Not too much. But it's quite different preaching in somebody else's church. Great fun. And Bathurst is a fabulous place. Uh, Mount Panorama aside. Um, it has a, a cafe scene which almost rivals Norwood's. I was quite surprised. I thought that there might be a bakery out there. Um, there are 42,000 people in Bathurst. It is fairly, fairly large. Um, but they have a, uh, a, a, at least one cafe in town which I would say rivals uh, Argo on the parade in terms of quality of food. I don't think anybody matches Argo for the quantity uh, or the size of their menu. Um, and the coffee in Bathurst was uh, pretty good too. I mean, We've got to keep uh, lifting our game, I think, here. So uh, it was a great trip. And uh, uh, Jeff and Rowena, who are the pastors at C3 Bathurst, um, send their greetings. And uh, they actually told us to say, you guys are lucky to have us. But I thought that's perhaps a bit... <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's so nice of you to say. <laughs> but anyway... On our way back from Bathurst, we drove. Uh, uh, we hired a car and drove from Sydney to Bathurst. Is this going to be a problem? It is. <laughs> Let me know if it gets too bad. I'll use the handheld one. Although, because uh, I'm used to this one in Bathurst, they, uh, I had a handheld one, and Brendan was sitting on the front row, and he said, "Because you're used to using both hands, your microphone technique is terrible." Because I kept moving it around all over the place. He said the sound guy up the back was sweating bullets because he didn't know, didn't know what to do. But on, on the, So we, we drove back through the, the beautiful Blue Mountains and um, we thought, what better way of, of passing the time? We thought we'd listen to Mathan's message. And it uh, didn't take as long as it did you. We played it at one and a half times. <laughs> so... I was, you know, good to know when I got back here. Nathan's voice isn't quite that high pitched, um, but I loved what he was talking about—the whole idea of momentum and how it's important that that we we get involved, get into the river of God, and get in deep so that the river carries us, so that, so that we build momentum, so that we grow. And as I was pondering on this, um, I thought, what gives us momentum? What what is one of the key things that? that gets us to a place and allows us to keep going. And as I, as I was praying about it, I really felt the word that God dropped into my heart was legacy. Now, for those of you who know, I'm not talking about the, the group that raised money for the, uh, for the families of uh, servicemen. Um, I'm actually talking about a, a word that is important in what our predecessors have done and also important on, in what we're doing as, in, as church. So what, what's a legacy? Because it's not a word we tend to use a lot these days. So here, here's a couple of um, definitions that apply to what I'm talking about. The first is that a legacy is something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. Sounds a bit final, doesn't it? The second meaning is the principle so a legacy is a principle that a thing which exists as a result of something that happened in the past can later be used in a different way. 
So in some ways, it mainly relates to the past. But let, let me explain a legacy to you in pictorial fashion. I chose the, the background to my message this morning with, with some care. And if we look at the picture, who, who thinks it's a, it's a fabulous scene, isn't it? It's one of those, oh, isn't that nice? Wouldn't I like to live there or wouldn't I like to visit? Who feels like that? Who, who wouldn't like to visit it? Don't answer. Um, but what if I told you that that picture was actually a picture of a journey that we're all about to take and the destination is the other side of those mountains? How would you feel about that picture? Because I know that some of you are looking at the foreground and you're thinking, I could, I could do that. That's not a hard walk. Not a problem. And then you're looking at the middle ground and you say, well, there's a hill there. But it's not, it doesn't look a terribly big hill. There's a few trees on it. It's probably, probably get a bit sweaty doing that. And then you're looking at the, the background and you're thinking, well, those mountains are, are tall. I don't have any climbing gear and it, it's snow. It's probably cold. We're going to freeze to death when we get there. We're not going to make it over the mountains. But what if I told you that on this journey, we struggled over the, the foreground. That wasn't too hard. And we got over the, the middle ground. And as we approached the foot of those mountains, we're all walking there, looking up at the peaks, thinking, how are we going to scale those heights? But while we're walking along, somebody says, look, there's a tree over there with a note pinned to it. And so we all cluster over the tree, and the note says, 100 metres on, there's a cabin in the woods which will supply all your needs. Everybody goes, yay, barbecue time. So we all rush over to the cabin, and it's got food and drink and bedding, and we're all thinking, well, at least the, the night before we go over the mountain's going to be comfortable. And so we're sitting in the, we go into the cabin, and on the table in the middle of the cabin is a key. And there's a little tag attached to the key, and it says, the key to the mountains. What a weird thing. Strange, but you know what it's like with a group of people. While we're preparing the food and we're selling in for the night, some people have been exploring. And some, somebody comes in and says, hey, guess what? I've just been over to the, the foot of the mountains there. There is a huge door in the mountain, but it's locked. Everybody goes, aha. And so we all... Rush out with the key and try the key to the door. Guess what? The key opens the door. And when we open the door, we see a tunnel under the mountain stretching for miles. So being sensible, we go back to the cabin, we sleep. And the next morning, we all get up, we travel through the tunnel under the mountains in relative comfort and get to the other side and get to our destination. Woo! He's excited about that. How did we do it? We did it because somebody had gone before us and left a legacy. Somebody had struggled to those mountains before us and built a hut. Somebody had been there before us and stocked it with food and drink. Somebody, bless their cotton socks, had dug a tunnel all the way through the mountain so that we, when we got there, if we had the key, could take advantage of their legacy to make our journey possible. That's in a simple form is what a legacy does. If we hadn't been able to get over the mountains, guess what? Our journey, our momentum would have stopped dead against the foot of the mountain. But because somebody had gone before us, somebody had left a legacy for us, our momentum continued on through 
that mountain to reach our destination. One of the things we need to maintain momentum is a legacy. Somebody has left a legacy for us. We have a ministry centre across the road. It's easy to think that in November we saw the lease sign and, and we thought, yeah, let's, let's go for it. But the only reason that we can actually do that is because there's a legacy that's been left. More than 15 years ago, we started a building fund. And that legacy has come to fruit 15 plus years later in the fact that we were able to maintain momentum, to actually take ground, to actually step out into the deep, to do something unique because of that legacy. Interestingly enough, that legacy almost didn't start because of another legacy. Vicky and I came out of a church which had had a building fund and in their desire to increase the level of their building fund, they'd borrowed $30,000 from a member of the congregation to put in there to boost the interest. The trouble is that they spent all the money and when the church collapsed, that family who'd put that money in lost a lot. When Vicky and I took over that church, our greatest fear was that we would do a financial disservice to the members of that church by starting a building fund. It actually took a lot of overcoming of fear on our part to take the step to realise that to not have a building fund was actually doing a greater disservice to the people of our church than not having one as long as we were financially responsible. And so for us back then, because of what we'd gone through and because of the, the trials that we'd gone through to counsel people, to pay back all sorts of debt that was going on, we had our own personal fear. There was a legacy that had been left in our hearts which was stopping us going forward. So there can be two sorts. So we were encouraged to start a legacy which we can see the fruits of today because it was a positive one. So we've got to where we are because of a legacy. My question to you is, what do you want to see for the future? Because if you want to see the next generation have momentum, if you want to see the next generation powering on for God, our job right here, right now, is to start a legacy. We need to do something powerful. Let me show you how powerful a legacy can be. If you've got your Bibles there, turn with me to Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. If you've got your device, sort of tap on that. Or if not, look on the screen behind me. Luke 19 verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the time. The town, sorry, at the time, obviously. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus. Who prefers Zacchaeus? Who likes Zacchaeus? Either one will be accepted. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to the house to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled as they looked down their nose. 
Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, a given, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. You see, the, the Bible tells us four things about Zacchaeus. One, he was the chief tax collector. So he wasn't just bad, he was the baddest of the bad. The second thing is, he was rich. The third thing is he wanted to see Jesus. The fourth thing is, he was short. It's actually important. You see, tax collectors were considered so vile and repulsive and unclean, they were not allowed in the synagogue. Things have changed. We know that the people who work for the ATO are actually really nice. And uh, so if you do work for the ATO, we don't consider you repulsive, vile and unclean. But back then, things were different. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, so he was the vilest of the vile. Now, it's interesting. I don't think Zacchaeus' parents had this career path in, him, in mind for him when he was born because they named him Zacchaeus. Do you know what Zacchaeus means? It means pure and innocent. So they were probably horrified at his choice of occupation. Because, and he was rich, and because we know that tax collectors weren't paid much by the Romans, we can assume that his wealth came from extortion, ripping off the taxpayers. So he wasn't an honest man. I was going to say something else there, but I thought, let's not get political. Notwithstanding all of this, he wanted to see Jesus. It's interesting, one of the lies that we're told is that the secular world doesn't want to see Jesus. People in Australia aren't interested in seeing Jesus. Even the latest surveys say that 62% of Australians believe in a living God. The thing is, they don't have a problem with God. If you want to put it in retailing terms, they don't have a problem with the product. They have a problem with the retail outlet. We've got to do something about how we do church. So... We need to show them Jesus because they actually want to see Jesus. Now, the other thing we notice is that Zacchaeus was height challenged. Vertically challenged, I think, is the correct political term. Guess what? This was not his fault. None of us have the ability to get up in the morning and say, well, I'm going to be so tall today. We're stuck with whatever height we've been given. And so... It wasn't actually his fault. Vertically challenged people have a problem with crowds because they can't see the wood for the trees or the, the parade for the legs or any one of those things. You see, people want to see Jesus today, but things get in the way. People have suffered abuse at the hands of people who follow Jesus. They've seen things. They've been subjected to things which are not of Jesus. That gets in the way of them seeing Jesus because they... they they, they can't get there. There's a barrier that's stopping them. There's people who have been inoculated. You know what inoculation does. It gives you a sample of something that looks like the real thing but isn't. But once you've got it, it stops you ever getting the real thing. Some people are inoculated with Jesus. They've seen a little bit, 
And that's enough for them. And they're never going to see the big picture. They're never going to see Jesus. The other thing is ignorance. We talk about Noah, for instance. And we assume that people know who Noah is. But, you know, there are people who think that he plays for the Western Sydney Wanderers. There are obviously not a, a, a soccer crowd here. Um, <laughs> they do play soccer, don't they? So we have here Zacchaeus, a rich, short tax collector who wants to see Jesus. So what made the difference between a man who was on his way to hell and a man who experiences salvation? It was the tree. If you think about it, if he hadn't been able to climb up that tree, he'd never have seen Jesus. Jesus wouldn't have invited him into his home. He wouldn't have got saved. People wouldn't have been delivered and set free because of his change of heart. It was the tree. Now the question I have for you is who planted the tree? Don't know. Nobody knows. But you know, that's the cool thing about the tree. Because that is how the kingdom of God works. See, the kingdom of God is not like we, we, we think of the kingdom of God as prominence. You see, the kingdom of God is not about prominence, it's about significance. It's about getting the job done so that people can see Jesus. Was the tree randomly planted by a seed transfer? You know what happens. Birds eat seeds. Poop. Tree grows. You sort of think, it might not have been a person at all. So it might not have been that somebody left a legacy. It might just have been bird poop. It shows, if you, if you think that, you, you probably don't know a lot about Middle Eastern sort of horticulture. Um, and neither did I until I looked it up. Um, but in biblical times, people strategically planted fruit trees outside the city walls so that travellers would have something to sustain them on their travels. Now, I don't know whether they planted them outside the city walls so that the travellers would eat them and keep going because they didn't want them in the city, or whether it was slightly more, um, uh, slightly nicer idea than that. But they planted these things. And I can, can you imagine that somebody, years before, had got a, a little sapling. They'd gone, dug out the ground, planted that sapling, possibly watered it, and kept it alive so that it grew as food for travellers. And, that, that's, a, and that's, a, that's a great heart to have. But what did I say a legacy was? It was something done in the past that had a purpose that could be repurposed in the future. The great purpose in this story is that Zacchaeus used it as a ladder. It wasn't, it wasn't grown as a ladder, it was grown for its fruit. But he used something that had been purposed for something else, for something new. And so whoever had planted that tree had left a legacy. One day, someday, we can help someone see Jesus by doing what we're doing today. We may not see that legacy. Do it anyway. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And Paul's talking here about exactly this thing. He says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. Who feels tired sometimes? Who gets exhausted sometimes with doing good? 
I mean, not just generally exhausted. Some people just get exhausted because they're eating for two. But it, you can get overwhelmed sometimes. So he says, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is to give up. He says, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And don't worry about prominence. It's significance. Paul goes on in, in uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. I want to encourage you this morning that what you are doing, and, and a couple of Sundays ago we, we handed out volunteer forms and asked you to, you to fill them out. And we had, I remember I gave an instruction to those who are already volunteering just to tick the box I'm happy doing what I'm doing. That is, if you were happy. But what amazed me, what really encouraged me, were the number of people who ticked that box and then ticked a second box saying, and I could do more. That, that is the spirit that I believe God is looking for in his church. We're, we're doing what we can do, but we're always having our eyes open, thinking, if there's something you want more from me, Lord, I'm here, I'm available, I can do that. And guess what? We may never see the outcome of what we do. Because if we want momentum, we need to hope and pray that somebody has gone before us so that we can keep going, that other people have prayed for us, that other people have given for us, that other people have worked for us so that as we build, as we grow, there's momentum there because somebody has cleared the path before us. But guess what? If it stops there, at some point we're going to run out of momentum unless we Start to become the people who clear the path, make way, go ahead, do the things that are significant but not necessarily prominent so that when the next generation comes through, guess what? They find keys to hidden treasure. They find supplies where they never thought to find them. They find a path made smooth that they thought was going to be difficult because we were determined to leave a legacy. We were determined to be like Paul and Apollos. Who are we? Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who's Chris? Who's Rhiannon? Who's Anne? Who's David? Who's Jordan? Who's James? He's not here yet, but... It's not about who we are. It's about the fact that when we move, when we work, when we do things, it's God who makes it grow. Like the story of the Mountain journey, the story of Zacchaeus. Somebody in the past did something which left a legacy. Zacchaeus was saved because someone planted a tree. We get momentum in our journey because somebody has gone before us. Somebody else has planted something in the life of this church. 
If we want future generations to have momentum, then we need to start planting trees now. We like to plant trees and see them grow. Some of us need to let go of the fact that we'd like to see it grow and recognize that some of the things that we do, we may never see the fruit for. Even things like missions trips to Fiji. We may never see the eventual outcome. I mean, the immediate thing that we do is to provide someone with a place to live. But we don't know how that will connect them in to the church, to show them the favor of God, to bring the next generation in. We, we help our women's shelter here. And people come into that and are ministered to and helped. But we don't know how much our support will change the attitude of somebody who's been hurt, battered and bruised that comes into a place that where, where they get support and encouragement a new life to change their attitude towards things, to change their children's attitude towards life, towards God. Because we started something which has left a legacy. I want us to keep momentum rolling in this church. I want us to see people come in and have their lives changed because they get to know Jesus. And it's exciting at the moment because we're putting physical things in place across the road. You know, um, if you watch social media, you'll have seen that we've got our new bifold doors installed so that the areas are separated, so that uh, we, we're moving towards getting our, our kids' space operational. Um, and all, all of that's exciting. But it's, at the end of the day, it's just a building. It, buildings don't save souls. They can help us provide inspiration, a platform, a, a location for us to help do that. But it still comes down to us making disciples, to us reaching out to people, to us preaching the gospel. Everything else is just a tool for us to use for that regard. We are legacy bringers. Can I get you all to stand, please? Can I get you just to just to close your eyes for a moment? Um, I'm going to ask you a question. If you if this is you, I want you to put your hand up while nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call you out the front. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If you are doing good things, you're doing good work, but you are tired. You are exhausted. You feel that you might be at the end of, well, not the end of your tether, but you'd like a rest because you feel that there's a pressure on you that you can't escape from. Could you just put up your hand while nobody's looking around? I'd love to pray with you to help you along with that. Thank you, I see that hand. see that hand. Anyone else? Lord, I thank you right now that you have promised us that if we take up your burden, that it will be a light one. It will not be beyond our capability. And so I pray right now that as we labor under the burden that you've given us, that we discard all other burdens, that we recognize the unnecessary in our life, the unwelcome in our life, 
the burdens we are not meant to carry, Lord, and I grant, I pray that you grant us the wisdom to lay those down and only take up your burden. I pray right now that that weight is lifted from the shoulders of those who are suffering. The shoulders of those who are groaning under a weight they shouldn't be carrying. I command release in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. while we're here I'd like to pray for another group of people you can't leave a legacy for God and God's people unless you know the legacy giver we just read that Paul stated that he planted Apollos watered but it was God who brought the increase unless we know God doesn't matter how much we plant how much we water there won't be an increase. So you might be here this morning and you're saying, well, I don't know God. And it might be because you've never been introduced to God or it might be that your faith has fallen away so that you feel so separated from God that you can admit, well, I just don't know God anymore. God does not want our planting and our watering to go to waste he's a God who says whatever your your actions are bring them to me and I will make them bear fruit so he is not afraid that people lose their faith he's not afraid that people don't have faith he accepts and rejoices with people who are willing to take a step of saying I renew I take a step of faith. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, and you would like to take a step to say, I want to get to know Jesus. I want him in my life. I want him as my Lord and Savior. The first step on that pathway is to just let go and pray a prayer that invites him into your heart. And I'd love to pray that with you. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes and ask you if that's you to raise your hand. I'll acknowledge that hand while nobody's looking around. But then, although a decision to follow Christ, I believe, is a private thing, the actual act of making a statement is something which is public. And I want to warn you now that if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to come forward and pray on this altar together with me to have Jesus Christ come into your heart. Because I don't think there's, any, there's no such thing as secret Christianity. Our decision is our own, but our statement is for the world to see. So can I ask, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you're prepared this morning to make that step, to make him your Lord and Saviour, can you raise your hand high so that I can see it right now? Can I ask you all to open your eyes, look to the front, and can you all pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus Christ, I am your son or your daughter. You say which one it is depending on who you are. You know who you are. I thank you for what you have put into my life. I will plant 
and I will water. And I will also trust you to bring the increase. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just a reminder that this week, Wednesday night, 7.30 here. And if you're part of the Leadership One course, 7.30 over at the Ministry Centre on Thursday night. And um, if you need to pick up your children, do that by 10 to 12. Otherwise, uh, stick around for coffee. And who is on? I haven't got my list up here. Dave and Liz will be on prayer this morning. So if you're wanting prayer for anything else at all, they'll be up here for the next 10 minutes or so. They would love to pray with you. Hang around for a coffee and a chat and we'd love to catch up with you.